we don't need to change who we are. We need to change the way we see ourselves. And I'm not saying be complacent, but I'm saying when we change the way we see ourselves, that really the world opens up. You're willing to try more things. You're willing to put yourself out there more and do amazing things for the people around you. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. For those of you who are new here, my name is Kim Peek. I'm a running coach and the author of Holistic Endurance Training, The Integrated Approach to Thriving as an Athlete. I'm also the co-founder of Iris Digital Media Group, a social media and content marketing agency that helps business leaders turn their products and passions into profits. I am so excited that I'm getting my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine on Saturday, so I'm just weeks away from being able to safely see family members that we have not seen in over a year. And as I mentioned last week, I'm also excited to see some in-person racing coming back, and I'm hoping that all of you are finding ways to get outside and move. And even if running is not your thing, there are so many ways to move. So I encourage you to try lots of things until you find something that makes you eager to get out of bed in the morning. And I say in the morning because that's when I prefer to exercise, when the weather allows. But I have to admit, I'm a little bit like Goldilocks. I don't like it too hot or too cold. I like the weather just right. So I plan my workouts around the weather. And I am here to tell you that that's okay. Just because someone on Instagram or TikTok or in your latest personal development book that you're reading says that you need to have a morning routine, that doesn't mean that you need a four-hour routine that starts at 4 a.m. The important thing is that you make movement part of your day in some way every day in whatever way fits your lifestyle. And while we're sitting here chatting before I introduce today's guest, I also have to tell you that I just had a birthday. And for my birthday, my family bought me two stand-up paddle boards. And so I am really looking forward to warm enough weather to be able to take those boards out to the lake and explore some regional areas, take the boards out and check out a lot of different lakes over this summer. And I think that that is another example of a great activity that is fun, gets you outside, but also keeps you moving, helps you work on your balance. And we're also thinking about maybe getting a kayak. Now that might not be all that exciting to all of you, but these are things I've wanted for a long time. So I am super, super pumped to be able to take those things out with my girls and have a lot of fun this summer. So now I want to tell you about today's guest. She believes we should each follow our own journey. And in this episode, she shares a great story about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and the lesson she learned from her guide as she was stressing out about slowing him down. And I know that my runners in the group can really relate to this. You go out on a group run and you might be a little bit slower and you're afraid that you're going to slow your running partners down. So I want you to listen to what her guide told her because I think it's relevant 
not just when you're climbing a mountain or when you're running, but in life in general. We also covered a ton of topics, motherhood, customer service, kindness, and a whole lot more. So let me give you her official bio. Simone Canego is the best-selling author of The Extraordinary Unordinary You. She is a speaker, entrepreneur, and mother to six multicultural children. With her bold witticism, larger-than-life personality, and fearless attitude, she is a powerful force for good. Simone instills in her audience the powerful lesson that what you do matters, and it's the little things that we do each day that make the most difference. We talked about some of the stories that are in her book, The Extraordinary Unordinary You, which she wrote to share the important message that what you do matters. We are, in essence, repairing the world with our small acts of kindness by simply being who we are. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the show, Simone. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be here. One of the things that I saw on your website is that it says, change the way you see yourself in the world and the world around you will change. What does that mean to you? I think for so long, I saw myself, I didn't really see myself. I really struggled with so many things. I struggled with weight. I struggled with self-esteem. Again, I have amazing things going on in my life, but I didn't see that because I was trying to compare myself to everyone else. I, I didn't see that the things that I did every day really impacted the people around me. And it took a moment in time where I took a step back and said, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Look at what you're doing. And I think we all need to do that. We all need to look at ourselves and say, wait, we're already doing amazing things. We we can impact the world in a positive way by the small things we do every day, our interactions with other people, the way we work with our children. Everything is so important to creating a, a better world. And But it took me a long time to see that. I really struggled to see that in myself. I think that's really cool because I think especially a lot of moms don't really see the value in what they do on a day-to-day basis. And being a mom is an important job that can impact the world in great ways. And I know you told me you have six kids. Yeah, I I would say that for me, when people ask me, what's the most important thing for you? What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing you can do? And for me, the most important thing I can do is raise good humans because they're going to affect the world in a positive way as well. And that's so important to me. And I think we do, we get tied up in the, or caught up in the daily, I'm doing the laundry, I'm doing the dishes, I'm making the lunches. And I was saying the other day that when I was making my kids lunches that I think I make crappy lunches, but they don't complain. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> peanut, peanut butter on bread. Fantastic. They have food in their lunch. That's great. But we do. We get caught up in thinking that those things don't matter and how raising kids, like it's huge. It's really, we're bringing on the next generations to be kind, be empathetic, be the good in the world. And so I really, I look at it like that now. And I had a friend say it to me one time when she was, when she, her kids were little and she was really struggling. And obviously we all struggle. That's part of life. We all struggle. And she was saying, I don't, can I, waking up in the morning to get them ready for school, all of these things. And she said, I, I took a step back and said, 
I'm now looking at it like I'm tending a garden and that I'm taking care of all these pieces so that they can grow and bring light and joy to the world. And I was like, that is such a good way of looking at it. That is a great way of looking at it, tending a garden. So what are some of the other ways that you think the small ways that we can be the change in the world? I would start with customer service calls. (laughs) I think that's one of the things that we all dread doing when we have to call and ask because something isn't working or something's broken. And we normally start off the call in the past. I would just be like frustrated, right? I'd get on the call instantly and be like, this is broken, blah, blah, blah. And what I've realized is that when I do a check-in with the person, when I'd be like, hey, how's your day going? Where do you live? What's, you know, again, it's another human on the other end of the line. It's not, it's, they're not just customer service. They're a person. And I've found that really starting off with positivity goes a long way. And people are more willing to help when you're kind and you're grateful and I've, my husband has coined the term, I pulled a Simone today. That's what he said. I pulled a Simone today. And I was like, uh-oh, let me hear this one. <laughs> and what he said was that he was about to get on a call and he was really angry about something. And he decided to, again, take a step back and say, I'm calling a person. I'm not, I'm not calling a robot. I'm calling a person. So let me start that way. And I said, and how did it go? He's like, it was amazing. I learned things about their life and they helped me with my problem. And I feel good about it. I think the last part was the most important part was that he said, I feel good about it. So yeah, I think that that is huge. I know when we travel, we get the most amazing treatment and It's because of the way we treat people. You treat them like humans. You're not grumpy when something goes wrong. And I always tell my kids, the point is not to be manipulative. You're not being nice to be fake. You're being nice because you're dealing with another person, another human. And whatever just happened to you is not their fault. And so if you treat them like another person, it is crazy all the good things that come back to you because you might be one of the only people that were nice to them that day. It's so true. You you see, you're at the airport and your flight gets canceled and instantly people are screaming. And this person, like it's weather, they can't control it or there's not a plane there. There's nothing they can really do. They can help you move forward. But in the moment, screaming at them is not going to make a difference. And all it's going to do is make them say, next, please. (laughs) So I really try that with everything. Not just on a phone call, but when I walk into a store, when I'm walking down the street and I run into a person, I, I say hello every time because we need to acknowledge other people. We, I think for so long, for me, I walked around with my head down. I was just going from point A to point B and not realizing the journey between point A and point B is the whole point. Like these are the whole point of life, like these moments that we interact with other people. And that's so important. Yeah, funny you mentioned that. We before we started, we were talking about how we both have children living in New York City. And when I go to visit my daughter, I do this Midwest, I call it the Midwestern thing. It's probably not just a Midwestern thing. You're walking down the street when I'm talking to people, making eye contact, and she's always elbowing me. Mom, you don't make eye contact. You don't talk to strangers in New York City. But it's just how I do things. Yeah. And people in New York City will do it too. A lot of people are rushing to get to their jobs. I get it. But I think it's important. And you know what? It's okay if the other person doesn't respond. Hey, I still I still 
I'm being me. This is who I am. And I do the same thing I'll, in the airport. I'll sit down to someone and sit down next to someone and start a conversation. And the kids are like, oh, here she goes again. Here she goes again. <laughs> and I, but I do it all the time. And you know what? I've noticed with my older kids, they now do it as well because you can learn something from everyone you meet. And sometimes you learn really amazing things from the people that you meet. I agree. We were, I don't remember, I went through a period a couple years ago where I was traveling a lot. And there was one weekend I was in the airport. The airport was pretty deserted. So I just sat down at one of those little bars that they have in the center of the concourse, like it, where everybody's walking through, but it was fairly deserted. And so there are a couple of women just sitting around the bar killing time. And we got in this conversation with this bartender and all of a sudden we're solving this woman's problems with her feet and recommending shoes and exercises and physical therapy things. And it was really amazing. Just the converse, the random conversations that you can have with somebody that turn out to be beneficial for everybody that was part of that conversation. So I am totally with you on that. I think it's really fun to have those just what seem like random encounters with people. Yeah. And learn about their lives too. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Sometimes they don't realize they have a story when they start talking and you're asking questions and then they're telling you more. And then they're like, wait, I'm like, yeah, you have a story that you have an amazing story. But I, I just think it's so important to acknowledge people. And again, these conversations, sometimes not only do they help us, they help other people. And that's the whole point. Yeah. So you started out as a CPA and then realized that this wasn't the career for you. Can you tell us a little bit about mm. how you came to that realization and how you made such a big change? Oh, I made huge changes. And I'll start with, I truly believe that changing your mind is okay. It's a good thing. That's how we evolve. And so I think it to, to decide at 18, and I tell this to my kids, my parents did not tell this to me, that it's really hard to, how do you know what you want when you're 18 years old for the rest of your life? I started off in accounting because first of all, I failed organic chemistry. I wanted to go into medicine because <laughs> oh, both, both of my parents uh, were physicians, and but I failed organic. So what was I good at? I was good at math. And my dad said, so do math. And I said, okay, okay, do accounting. Fine, do accounting. So I never was really I was never passionate about it. It's an amazing field. It's an amazing career. One of my closest friends is a partner at one of the biggest accounting firms, you know, in the country and she followed through. We went to school together and I worked for a couple of years and she kept going and now she's she's obviously super successful in that field and she's a great human as well. But yeah, it wasn't for me. We ended up moving to a, a small town in Texas and I worked in an accounting firm there. I just didn't love it. And I, fortunately, I have a supportive husband who said, you, again, figure, figure it out. And so I tried many things and I think I've, I finally, I know I finally figured it out because this is what I love. I love sharing my stories. I love interacting with other people. And if I could impact one person's life in a positive way, then I've done my job. And you have a new book that came out called The Extraordinary Unordinary You. Can you tell us about what your book is about? Yeah, it came out in October. It's about realizing what you're capable of and really recognizing that the things you do every day have the power to inspire the people around you and that you matter. I really wrote it because 
I wanted to share my stories. It's about the kids' adoptions. It's about my daughter's Crohn's diagnosis. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, the sad, all of it, the, the shiny moments, but also the struggles because, again, it's important to share all of those things because that's part of human connection. But really the underlying theme is that going back to the change, we don't need to change who we are. We need to change the way we see ourselves. And I'm not saying be complacent, but I'm saying when we change the way we see ourselves, that really the world opens up. You're willing to try more things. You're willing to put yourself out there more and do amazing things for the people around you. And that's what I found in my life. And I think that the more people I talk to, the more people think, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Like we, we're constantly trying to change ourselves. We do this 17 step process for this or the four step process for that. And really taking a step back and saying, who am I and what do I want? Those are really important pieces for me. So speaking of processes, is there a process that you go through to change the way you see yourself or how do we start to do that? Yeah. I Again, I didn't lay out in the book that there are here, do these steps, but I really, the way it started for me, I was at this women's empowerment luncheon and amazing motivational speakers, amazing women. But at the end of them talking, I actually felt a little bit bad about myself. And I had someone say, oh, then they're not a good motivational speaker. And I said, no, my mind wasn't in the right place. I literally was saying that will never be me. And then I said to myself, and that's the whole point. You're not supposed to be them. You're supposed to be you. And look at what you're already doing. Look at the things that the amazing pieces of you that you can bring forward. And that was like the beginning of changing the way I saw myself. I was I was at that luncheon wearing clothes that I didn't feel comfortable in because I had gained weight. And so that was like my whole thing was like, oh, you can't even do this. And and I was like, okay, you got to be a little bit nicer to yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. And it's not like a light switch. I don't just flip it and everything's great. It's every morning I start my day with some something positive. So I look in the mirror. I call them mirror moments. Actually, my kids call them mirror moments. Here, here she goes again. Mom's talking to herself in the mirror. But really starting with some kind of affirmation or something, something that I look in the mirror and say, this is really great. And I really think it helps me move forward with positivity throughout my day. And I know my kids have seen a huge change. My husband has seen a huge change. And it took me until that was a few, several years ago. It wasn't like all of a sudden I was 22 and said, oh, wow, everything's fantastic. It's, it's really, and I really do, I really have changed how I look at everything because understanding that we're all different. We all are going through different things every day and we can never walk in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Now, you also say on your website that you've made some big life decisions, but that it's the small things that have impacted your life the most. Give me some examples of those types of small things. It doesn't seem like a small thing, but when someone asked me to climb Kilimanjaro, I said yes to that. I say yes to a lot of things that I think that will really make make changes in myself, changes in other people as they see what I'm doing. But yeah, Kilimanjaro was, was a quick decision, little thing, yes. And then, oh, wait, there's a lot of work to be done here. <laughs> you know, um, I like the idea of just taking that step and saying yes as being one of the little things. That's really a great concept that really could change lives just right there. But tell yeah. us about your Kilimanjaro. Yeah, that was an amazing thing. And again, 
little thing, big thing. It was a little thing to say yes. And then I had to train and I had never climbed anything before. <laughs> I, I joke that I've gone camping a few times, but yeah, I was, I live in Florida. We, we live at sea level and the idea of going up to 19,341 feet. Once I really started researching it, I was like, that is a lot, but I put in the work behind it. So I think in the past, I would set goals and I would set them. And then I'd be like, I have this goal. How do I get there? And I didn't put in the work behind the goals to get there. Now, when I set a goal, I put in the work, I schedule it, I use my calendar for everything so that I'm really able to at least try to achieve it. Again, if I fail at something, it's a bump in the road. It's not the end. It's you move forward after that. But that was amazing experience. I uh, went with, there were 16 of us and I didn't know anybody. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was with, the, we were um, raising funds and awareness for the Live Strong Foundation. And so the first time I met people was when we showed up in Tanzania. And I was, not only were we strangers, but we were also now roommates, tent mates. So I was paired with an amazing woman who is a breast cancer survivor. She was my tent mate and she always started with positivity. She was great. And that was a really eye-opening moment for me. She had been through so much and she's now climbing this mountain. And I, I just, it was truly inspirational. All of the people on the trip, they were either cancer survivors or climbing in honor of a friend or family member who had passed or was in treatment. It just made it that much more, even more special. So what is involved in training and getting ready for a climb like that, especially when you live at sea level? Yeah, I'm sure there are better ways of doing it, but this is what I was able to do. So I really, as soon as I committed, I was in the gym every day. I was on the treadmill at the full incline and it wasn't fast. It was very slow because when, and this is the, the training that we received was it's one foot in front of the other. You're not, tr you're not racing up the mountain. You're, you want to get to the top and it's about the journey up there. It's not, let me go as fast as I can so that I can miss everything as I'm going. And just to get there, there's all those pieces in between. So yeah, I was, I did, I always wore, I wore my hiking boots twice a week so I could break them in. That was, thankfully I did that because That's that, smart. that might've been one of my biggest struggles. And a couple of people definitely struggled with big blisters. And, and then we do have, we have one bridge in town that you can go over that has, I don't know, a little bit of height. <laughs> and then we have a garbage dump that is now converted into a park and you can climb up that. <laughs> oh. but that yeah. Yeah. It's actually beautiful out there. But yeah, I just, I committed myself to working out something every day and I did get in the best shape of my life. I also wore a, an elevation training mask. So it's this mask that goes over your face and you can adjust the valves to simulate what it's, it's not going to be the oxygen level because that the that chemical change happens when you get to elevation but it does build lung capacity so i would wear it i would do boxing workouts and i would wear it during my boxing workout i could probably only wear it like 15 minutes and then i could barely breathe but i was prepared enough like i when i started i had not my friends were always like oh this is amazing and you're so crazy but people that i didn't know really well and said wait i heard you were going to climb kilimanjaro do you really think you can make it to the top 
Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. I think I wouldn't be doing this if I would just say, I'm only going because I'm going to make it halfway up. Yes. I'm going to make it to the top. And I think maybe that fueled me even more because, um, not because I wanted to prove them wrong, but because, wait, why are they even questioning? Again, I would be, if someone said they were doing that, I'd be like, that's amazing. And, and it was, so the training part was one thing and then getting there and starting, you don't know what you to expect when you haven't done something like this before. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, but really being surrounded by people who were super positive and had a purpose and that, that was so inspirational to me. I think the thing that I struggled with, again, I live in Florida, the cold um, and oh, yeah. the cold in the middle of the night when you have to go to the bathroom. I would have to psych myself up just to get out of the get out of the sleeping bag. And you always keep your shoes outside. Sometimes we usually clean them off. Getting your shoes on so you don't bring the dirt inside the tent and then getting up and then running and going to the bathroom and running back again. <laughs> and it's dark, obviously. So you have a little headlamp and you're going to the bathroom in the woods. So all those pieces where I'm like, where's my flushing toilet? And again, this is <laughs> the creature comforts. And I laugh about that because that was probably, that was what, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, it's cold. And I have to go to the bathroom again. And the climb, obviously the climb was hard here. You, the, the summit attempt is from a little bit over 15,000 feet to the 19,341. It's huge. So how long does that take? How long did it take you guys? Yeah. So we we did a little bit of a longer route and it was five days up, two days down. And yeah. And I was, was gone. a night sleeping in the cold. Yeah. It was the funniest thing was like night two, night one. So what's really interesting about Kilimanjaro is that there's different climate zones. So you start off in like the tropical rainforest. And so it's muggy and buggy. It still gets chilly, but the second night when we were higher up, I was like, one thing I didn't learn is how to properly work the sleeping bag because you have to get it over your head so that really only your nose and mouth are out so that you can maintain your warmth. And so my tent mate and I were like, how do you work this thing? We were like freezing. And so finally someone's, okay, this is what I was like, ah, now that makes sense. That's why it looks like that. Cause we were trying to sleep it with it on our shoulders and no, you got to oh. get it all the way up your head. You just these little pieces to hang out. And, and then night three, I was like, Ooh, I'm really warm now. And now I got to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about how your guide was saying one foot in front of the other. This isn't a race. We don't want to miss all the beauty from point A to point B. I think that is huge. It's like a great metaphor for life and, and just how to do everything. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that goes back to where I said before that I used to walk around, you know, I used to go through life with my head down, like not paying attention, just getting from point A to point B, not enjoying the middle. And the middle is the best part. When he would, when he said that, he also, he had another phrase that he would say that was don't waste your pennies. And that was part of the, because you can't get them back. So that was his thing for why we're going to go slow. He's like, when you're at these higher elevations, it's hard. It's, you're not sleeping, you're sleeping, but you're not sleeping enough. It's hard to get enough calories. It's hard. All of these pieces are so difficult. So when you are rushing to get to the next place, you're wasting your pennies and you can't get them back. 
What was interesting about the one foot in front of the other piece even came into play more on the the descent because I had a couple of knee surgeries and I knew my knee was going to be an issue, but I was like, okay, I'm doing this. On the way up, sure, it hurt, but it wasn't horrible. On the way down, it's that it, it started to swell, huge swell, and it was hard. I was definitely like peg-legging a bit by the end. And one of the guides stayed back with me as we went a little bit slower at that point. And I kept on apologizing. And he said, what are you apologizing for? And I said, I'm holding you back. He said, I have to tell you, Simone, this is the first time that I've actually been able, he goes, I've never seen the monkeys in the trees here before because I'm always rushing to get to the end, then to get on the bus, then to go to the next place. He said, I'm loving this. This is the first time I've I've had permission to slow down at this point and be able to really enjoy what I'm seeing in front of me. And that was a that was an eye-opening moment for me because I think we do that in a lot of things. We're always apologizing for we feel like we're affecting someone in a negative way because whatever our limitations are or what we feel our limitations are. And that was a moment where I said to myself, okay, that's it. He's right. This is the journey. It's seeing all of the the different pieces that we would have missed if we were just rushing to the end. I think that's a really great spin on how to look at it because I think I was just having a conversation with somebody over the weekend about, I I have a whole bunch of women who I used to do triathlons with and everybody has gotten older and they all have different creaks in their body and knees that hurt and shoulder surgeries and whatever. And we were saying, Hey, I think we're actually going to have triathlon again this summer in Kansas city. And there's somebody who's offering a distance. That's half of a sprint distance. Mm -hmm. Like I bet we could do that on very little training, even though we haven't been in a pool for a year. And one of them starts in a couple of them starting, but we'd have to walk. I don't want to be the last finisher. And I love what you said, because that is such a great way of looking at it is, you know, who, Maybe there's somebody there. Maybe it's the race announcer. Maybe it's the organizers who are thinking, what a great way to help usher that last finisher in. And there's just so many positive ways you could look at that instead of, oh, I don't want to be the last finisher. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that spin on that. Yeah, I did. I did triathlons for a few years. And that's actually what started my knee injury. Uh And then I had surgery and then I had a complication from the surgery. So that was the end of triathlons. Yeah, that's how life goes. But that was my fear when I first started triathlons is that what if I'm last? Then I'm like, okay, but you're still doing it. Nobody's judging that you came in last because you're doing it. The people that are judging you are the people that are not doing it. So who cares? Everybody, just like that moment where when you're, you feel like you can't go any farther and everybody's cheering, right? Like those things matter. That was like the Kilimanjaro piece where you feel like you can't go another step and then everybody's cheering. And it's such a powerful thing to be surrounded by people because again, it's not about the finish line. I'm not competing for anything. I'm enjoying these moments. And one of the things I always tell the people that I coach, I'm a running coach. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I tell people that I coach is that it's the crossing the finish line is amazing, but it's really not about crossing the finish line. It's about all of those things, all of those experiences that you learned about yourself, all the experiences that you had 
while you were doing the training and doing the work to be able to cross that finish line. Because that finish line is just a blip. Yes, I did that. But it's that whole journey. Did you find that as you were training for your climb? Yeah, I learned so much about myself, really, again, what I was capable of and not trying to rush things that I used to try to rush. So really, when I was training, people were like, why are you walking so slow? I'm like, because this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not running a marathon. People do things like that. They run marathons up mountains, but that's not what I was doing. It was really working on what I needed to work on and and not worrying about what anybody else was trying to tell me that I, I needed to do. But it's so true when, when it comes to training for a race, life in general, when we look at our lives and say, I had someone ask me, oh, what regrets do you have? What would you change if you could change? And I said, I wouldn't. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't because everything I've done every moment in time has brought me to this moment right now. So my life would, if I say I would go back and change things, everything would be completely different. I might not have the family that I have. I might not have been able to climb Kilimanjaro, all of these different things. And so that's why I say for me, when I when something happens that is might be considered a mistake or a failure, it's a bump in the road because it just makes me, it, it helps me learn. It helps me move forward. And yeah, at first when you're doing things like this, you think, oh, I can't be last or I can't. Why not? You're doing it. That's the whole point is that you're doing it. This episode is sponsored by Iris Digital Media Group, a content and social media marketing agency that I started with my daughter, Abby. Using our vision to visibility business growth method, we help our clients share their messages in ways that make an impact. Check us out at irisdigitalmediagroup.com. I always say I want to be that 85-year-old woman who's crossing the finish line of a triathlon or a marathon or a 5K, whatever my body is going to let me do at that age. Even if I am last, I want to be that person that got to do all those things their entire life. Yeah. And that's what my kids say about, and that my husband, we both agree that we said like at the end, we want to slide into home base. We don't want to, we don't want to leave anything behind. We want to enjoy all these moments and really see as much of the world as we can and talk to as many people as we can and try different things. Even if we can't finish them, try them. Why not? Because why leave anything? Why leave any stone unturned if you have the opportunity to to turn it? Yeah. And I think what you said earlier about failure, just looking at failure differently is a big part of that. Because if you aren't willing to try and fail, you're going to miss so many opportunities. Yeah. And if you think about everybody in the world, and if they we're so worried about failing that they never tried. Imagine the things that wouldn't exist in this world. This is how things work is that we might make mistakes. That's okay, but we get back up and we keep trying. I was actually reading um, an article that said that one thing is that we're too hard on ourselves. And when we're too hard on ourselves, that leads to procrastination. You're not even willing to try because you're so scared of failure. So when we say, okay, the mental toughness part is really important saying, yes, I can do this. And when we do make a mistake or we do have a bump in the road that we keep moving forward and say, oh, that happened. I learned from it. Let me see how I can do better next time. Because I think when I was younger, I used to just be hard on myself and say, you shouldn't, you don't need to do that. You couldn't do that. You, 
And I really changed the way that I talked to myself or talk about myself. I used to say, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I would say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom, or I'm just Rob's wife, or I'm just, I'm not just anything. I am all these things. These are pieces that make up who I am. And I should be proud of it, like not putting myself down for taking time off from something to raise my kids or this, this is who I am and I'm, I'm proud of who I am. The other thing that I changed was talking about in our house, the word can't, because in our house, we always say that can't means won't. So if you say, I can't do it, it means you're not even going to try. So do you want to do something? If you want to do it, then you try it. We I was a friend of mine was saying, Oh, I could never climb Kilimanjaro. I'm like, Do you want to climb Kilimanjaro? She's no way. I was like, Okay, so change your words because words matter. <laughs> it's, I don't want to climb it. It's not that I can't because I guarantee you could. If you put the work into it, you could change your words. So that's one of the big things that we focus on around here. <laughs> yeah, that's also very powerful. So I know that you mentioned earlier that everybody has a story. Is that mm-hmm. something that you talk about in your book? Is that a theme of the book? Yeah, I, it is a theme in the book because, again, realizing what you're capable of, realizing the things that you're already doing. I think that we do go through our lives thinking, a lot of people, me included, for a very long time, um, not thinking that we're capable of things, not realizing that we've had moments already, that when we talk about them, they have the ability to inspire the people that we tell them to. So important to share our stories and the tough moments as well. I know those are the hardest things to share, but what I found is the more I share things that I'm going through, that I always thought I was alone. Oh, I'm the only one that struggles with this. And then you start talking to someone else and they're like, oh, no, I totally struggle with that. And then you're like, wait, I'm not alone. So that that connection piece of sharing your story and having other people share theirs, I think is so powerful, especially now when we are in this Zoom world, hopefully soon to be moving forward a bit, but really having being able to connect in that we're not the only one that is, is struggling and you're not the only one that is struggling because it can be very lonely. Do you have advice for people who don't feel like they have a story to tell? I know that there's, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't think that there's anything about their life that's worth sharing or worth telling. Everything is worth sharing and telling. I I really look at everybody's gone through something good or bad that could really help someone else. And we don't realize it until we say it to someone else, say something that we're going through or something. uh, I tend to be a little bit, I'm never shy, but I tend not to. I I was at a dinner party on a Saturday night. There was like five of us across the street. Okay. It was socially distanced. It was outside. (laughs) No, no, nobody judged. And I'm vaccinated, but we were having a conversation about that. I wrote a book and they're like, we live across the street from you. And how do we not know (laughs) that you wrote a book? And I'm like, yes, I need to be better about sharing those things as well. But I think if people look inside, people in general, what I have found, there are some people that want to judge, but they're very few. Most people want to help. Most people, when you start talking to them, you realize that, wow, they've gone through something similar or they have something to share with me that I can learn from, but we have to be willing to put ourselves out there and 
but we all have a story. Every Everything we've gone through, whether it's a moment in high school. I was thinking back to moments in high school the other day as I was writing a speech and I was thinking, I haven't thought about that in so long, but that's an important story to share. We just have to look at ourselves and say, we all have a story and start thinking about what our stories are. What has positively impacted us? What has negatively impacted us? And share those things with other people. And do you have any tips for some people are just more guarded? They don't like to share. Do you have any tips for pulling those stories out of the people who are less inclined to share? So when I'm talking to someone and I start sharing, they seem to share back. So even if they're the people who are guarded, because if I have a similar moment and with six kids and four dogs and a husband. I have a lot of stories <laughs> and have a lot of similar moments, things that I'm going through. I have a, a child that is on the autism spectrum. I have another child that has dyslexia and I'm not, there's nothing about, this is who we are. There's, you know, when people say what's normal, there's no normal. This is who we are. We are all of our, my kids are amazing exactly for who they are. And so I'm willing to share the struggles that I have with all of these different things. Because as soon as I share with someone, if I'm telling a story about something, someone who hasn't been wanting to share something will instantly come back and say, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, absolutely. This is what I've been going through. Or So I think when we share our stories, we realize that helps people who are a bit guarded want to share theirs back because they've. it's like a... It's like a weight off of their shoulders. They've been holding things in for so long because they don't feel like they can share a story without being judged. And boy, we need to do better. We need to make sure people feel comfortable to share what they're going through. And again, going back to the especially now where so many people are so isolated because of COVID that it's important that we allow people, give people these opportunities to be able to talk about what they're struggling with. Yeah, I agree. So your book is filled with stories, filled with lessons, and we could have talked about a lot of things. Is there anything from the book or in general that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you about? I can tell you a funny story from the book or I can, there's lots of stuff I can, I'll tell my, I'll tell the rat story. So we were, there's a long backstory, but part of the backstory is that my son was at summer camp. He got bit by a poisonous snake had to be life flighted to the children's hospital, multi, multiple vials of anti-venom, and I was out of the country. So my husband had to fly there. Talking about a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I am the worst mother ever. Again, that I can't get there. What am I going to do? Again, I have a team. So my husband got there and he did, my son did fine. He was in the ICU for three nights. Yes, it was very scary. and But that's the backstory. So I get back in the country, they get back from the hospital and I have to take him to therapy because of the swelling in his arm was locked in place. So we go to get in our minivan, which I would call the moving trash can with six kids. You never know what you might find in there. Definitely crumbs, crackers, who knows? As I'm backing out, I'm looking at him and I'm like, why? Because I'm like, are you buckled? And he's, I'm trying. And I'm like, why is there popcorn all over the seat? And then I start backing out some more. And then I look back again and I'm like, oh, that is not popcorn. I was like, Noah, get out of the car. Get out of the car. And he's like, what? I'm like, get out of the car. And so he gets out. I obviously I put the car in park. I walk to the 
his door, which is electric, whatever, pull the door, it opens for you. And I look in and there is foam, pieces of foam all over the car. It was the inside of the seats. So what had happened was a rat had climbed in the car through the engine block. Yes. And basically had a feast. I don't know. One rat, two rats, 17 rats. I have no idea how many rats. (laughs) And there was pieces of foam everywhere. And of course, like my, my, the way I look at things, I'm like, oh, we'll just get some traps in there and maybe it will be okay. So I call my pest control guy. He's like, I think you should call your insurance company. So I call the insurance company and they're like, it's drivable. I'm like, yeah, it's drivable. They're they're like, okay, why don't you drive it up there? I was like, I am not getting back in the car. I am not getting back in the car. I was like, again, because if it jumps on my head as we're driving and I have an accident. Okay. So he's okay, ma'am, I understand. I'll have it towed. So <laughs> they brought it up to the insurance adjuster and he's, I've been doing this for 20 something years. I have never seen anything like this. And two days later he called me and he said, I have to total the car that the damage to the seats is it's not worth repairing. We have to total your, total your car because rats ate your seats. (laughs) So I, and I share that story because again, life happens. And my, I think my younger self would have been like, mortified and humiliated. Oh my God, my car is so gross. And <laughs> rats got in there and ate my seats. And I'm now I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's one of those ridiculous moments in time where, okay, I'm doing my best and <laughs> this is what happens. So I it as a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. <sighs> so that's one of, that's one of our crazy stories. And we have lots of crazy stories because again, we got a lot of kids and a lot of chaos. And I love that example of a story too, because it's a story about rats eating your car seat, (laughs) just one of those random things that could happen to anybody. And you are able to turn it into an entertaining story with a lesson. And I think that proves the point that everybody has a story to tell and that we can learn to tell those stories in ways that are engaging too, for people who want to do more with their stories. Not everybody wants to be a speaker, but it just shows that everybody has a things that they can talk about, I think. Yeah, we all have on a daily basis. There's things that happen to each and every one of us that are comedy or drama or there's so many things that happen. And it's just understanding that, sharing them. And and again, I really don't get embarrassed <laughs> anymore. I'm, yeah, that happened. Let me tell you about it. And that's how we go through life. And that story is an example of one of the many ridiculous things that have happened to us and that I I like sharing it because again, life happens, ridiculousness happens and it is what it is. So tell everybody how they can find you, what the name of the book is, how they can find it, all of that connection stuff. Thank you. So you can find my me on my website, simonecanego.com and Canego is K-N-E-G-O. And you can find my book on Amazon or any online place that sells books. Most places have it. And I would love to hear from you if you read it. If you want to share your story with me, I would love to talk to people. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and Instagram. I'm basically, if you search my name, you will find me because I, as of this point, I say it like this because you never know. I am the only Simone Canego that you can find. So you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to you and hear your stories. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 
Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.